The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is yours truly, Cameron Fry, His Girl Friday. Coming at you. It's a Monday afternoon. I'm on my lunch break and I have an open window to record a podcast because I am home alone. And if you know my family, I love them, but boy, it can be loud at times. When you have three under five, that's just a recipe, a foundation for boisterous activity, but I mean that in the most pleasant way. I love my kids, they're high energy uh, breeds, <laughs> plenty of joyful moments. And so, but I just say that as context. It's a, I have that window and I'm going to take advantage of it. So hope you guys are doing well, that you uh, are having a great year so far. I, this is only my second or third podcast of the year. And I think this is the first time that I'm recording a pod where we're in a new administration. I'll mention why that bears mentioning in just a moment. But lately, like the last two weeks, I've really been basking in Second Chronicles 20, as well as the preceding three chapters, but especially chapter 20. And that's where we're going to do our Bible study today. It's not a soap Bible study, but it's a, more of a classic variety nonetheless. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You guys can do that on your own. But I'm going to reference certain sections. There's a lot of specific verse references in today's pod. So make sure to have your Bibles handy, your apps ready to fire whatever, uh, you know, translation floats your boat. I've been bouncing between ESV and uh, Amplified. So we'll just jump in. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot of, uh, you know, in terms of prologue, I don't have much to say except the fact that <laughs> I'm a little fatigued. I, had, uh, I will say that Evie, she's my middle child, my only daughter, she had uh, her tonsils and her adenoids removed last Friday. So We've been taking care of her in great measure, administering Motrin and Tynal every three hours. So I'm kind of uh, running on fumes and adrenaline today. But I think sometimes when you're in a situation where you're running on fumes and adrenaline, it actually is a good opportunity to do something that you normally wouldn't do. Or maybe you think you're, I mean, it's not the best time, but sometimes it's a perfect opportunity to capitalize. And so sometimes speaking in the word and talking the word together and podcast form is you know is one of those opportunities. So if you know me, you know I'm not into politics. Hence the administration reference earlier. Uh, times have changed in the last three weeks, especially when you go back to January 1 and you zoom back even further to when COVID um, unleashed last March. I mean, we're in different times. You know, it's hard to relate almost to what life was like two years ago. As far as politics, though, I don't emotionally invest in them. I don't invest in global events. I don't turn on the news unless I have to. A lot of my exposure is inadvertent. It's secondhand. Uh, you know, the thumb scrolls, you know, it's, if I'm being honest with myself, that's how I find out a lot of information. It's at your fingertips. You don't have to look too hard. When I was younger, you know, watching the evening news was a family affair. It always preceded family dinners, at least three or four nights of the week, and you know, even though I'm, I'm referencing elementary days, uh, I could re remember the, the news adding a layer of stress and anxiety to what I was going through. And not that I couldn't appreciate the voice of Peter Jennings or 
Don Brokaw on a Taco Tuesday. I th- the personalities I enjoyed, but a lot of what was said was largely negative, and it's only gotten crazier um, in this day of social media, where s- information is not real information unless it's gone viral, or at least it's not prevalent unless it's gone viral. Given the choice, younger me would rather comb through a newspaper by a fireplace than channel flip through the five stages of grief. Also referring to a lot of news outlets. I like the local news, but I, I, you know that was as far as it got with me. National news, it was just heavy. And I remember back in the '90s, there were you know a lot of positive segments to end the clip, and I thought that was impressive. But long gone are those days where we would, you know, attempt to, I guess, touch the corporate emotion of a country through how we intentionally ended those new segments. I'm talking about those 30 minute blocks of time where you just would get caught up. And like I said, it was a family affair. There was community attached. And now it's just a, you know, news is so individualized. It's not really discussed unless you're intentional about it. And so we fast forwarded today, that bombardment information is at the feeder pitch and we live in that paradox of silent scrolls and that providing constant noise and you know you got souls all over the place desperate to press mute on what they can't resist as i mentioned the world at their fingertips i'm still there and in some ways kind of wish there was a different way to go about it, and there is i'm sure but that's not the point of this pod you know there'll be a time where we could talk about the quest for a distractionless life how we could contend with that uphill battle but the reason why i'm writing this, sharing this, podcasting about this is to use Second Chronicles 20 as a sounding board, a foundation to remind us how in all things there's a right way to stand, a right way to contend, and a right way to honor. So again, not a political piece, but certainly there's a lot of politics in the context of Second Chronicles 20, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And I may not fully be qualified to talk about this particular chapter in the particular light, you know, anything with political undertones. I'm sure there are some sharper, more seasonable podcasters, theologians, and commentators. But the way I see it, whenever I record a His Friday podcast, I approach it the same way as I always do. I'm equipped with the help of the good Lord by my side. Regardless of whatever truth is spoken, whatever insights ignites, it's God getting the glory and the credit. <laughs> me at his mouthpiece, a willing vessel. He's created me. He's created you to be a messenger of encouragement. For such a time as this. All right, finally, let's get to it. So this is three points. The first one, the way to stand. Imagine being Jehoshaphat. He was our protagonist in this story. You're waking up to two powerful armies raging war against you. The future of a reformed country, not to mention your own life hanging in the balance. I don't care what side of the bed you wake up on. There's no coffee strong enough in the world to offset that brutal awakening. For Jehoshaphat? That's where he was, you know, a devout God-fearing king. That's where he found himself, contending with a stirred Judean ecosystem. You read chapter 19, you get an idea of what was going on. He was doing a lot of things right. Generations before him offered a mixed bag. Most kings, evil in the sight of the Lord. They tolerated idolatry. They tolerated a lot of the vices that our culture tolerates today. Much in terms of sin, much in terms of dependence, or rather independence. They exalted that as a virtue. 
and really there's some there's some parallels as much as we feel uncomfortable talking about them there's definitely some parallels between this era in scripture and the era we find ourselves in today chapter 19 jehoshaphat he's spending a lot of time fortifying cities from idolatry towards holy reference he's breaking down <laughs> systems of the current world he's reminding people in part through political tactics to turn their heart to the Lord, God of angel armies. Let's get back on track. That was Jehoshaphat in a nutshell. And thanks to his efforts, the foreign foundation is rather fragile. You'd think it'd go the other way, but think about it. The Moabites are ticked. The Ammonites are incensed. Jehoshaphat's like this divine interruption in their life. They just don't see it as divine. So with verse 2, we find <laughs> Josephat being reported to, a great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea out of Aram, and behold, they are Sana San Tamar, that is, and Gedi. I think I'm pronouncing that right. If not, I apologize. So hearing this news, Josephat could have easily yielded to fear and doubt. When you learn a nation's fate is at stake, staying calm can seem like a tall order. I know I would probably be very hesitant, or rather the opposite hesitant. I, I would probably push the panic button early. However, it's here where Jehoshaphat makes a critical decision. Rather than push the panic button into premature prayer, he seeks the Lord with determination, proclaims a fast and a gathering for his people to do the same in verse 4, and inspires unity ahead of the time, ahead of the victory to come. So I say fast and a gathering. It's interesting, he could have proclaimed a fast. I think it was important that he didn't just stop there. Not that he didn't trust his people to do that, but I think just bringing them together, you have accountability built in, you have the sake of, I care for you, let's have relationship through this gathering. I think blending of fast and gathering was such an important thing. Reading chapter 20, that was one of the first things that stuck out. Like he really, Joseph did it, was, was very wise at multiple parts in this chapter. And proclaiming a fast and a gathering kind of gets the ball rolling for him. So following his prayer, Joseph's prayer, uh, verses 5 through 12, this won't be the only time we talk about it. We see the evidence of Jehoshaphat's faith through the response of his people, verse 13 through 14. In fact, I'm actually going to open that up and read it. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord and with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Matananiah, Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So the Spirit of the Lord was present. I'm, all, I'm reading this and I'm like, whoa, a little bit of Acts 2 preview. Maybe not everyone, but the Spirit of the Lord was among them. And you know, we can break down the difference between the Spirit of the Lord of among versus upon, but whatever. The fact of the matter is these people were devout. They were following Jehoshaphat's lead. And Jehoshaphat, you know, one of the signs of a good leader is, you know, are your followers taking your lead? And you see that multiple times throughout chapter 20. Not only did they stand and receive from the Lord, but they discerned God's battle plan through worship and thanksgiving in preceding verses. With corporate praise and official banner, Jehoshaphat's army charges into war with confidence and is delivered from the men of Ammon and Moab, a thorough breakthrough, epitomized in verse 21. Give thanks to the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever. That phrase does not just exist in the poetic chapters, people, in the Psalms and Proverbs. It is everywhere. That phrase, I love how it's such a constant theme. It's part of that banner across the scriptures from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation. And here in 2 Chronicles 20. That's kind of one of the things that I wanted to harp on. First point, the way to stand, not being detached from community. A lot of times we, again, we make 
standing, a, a personal thing. And we can stand when there's no one around us, God with us, Christ in us. But we have to not abandon the fellowship of the saints and know the times to come together, especially when we are in this season of war. We are in a season of war right now. I'm not here to talk about how that is, why that is, but we have to at least acknowledge the fact that the integrity, the authenticity, the value and the virtue of our country has been... I mean, we've been at war for years. It's not like it's just starting. It's not like suddenly COVID hits and we're scrambling. I think COVID has made us more sensitive, some of the realities of life. We talk about moral integrity. We talk about righteousness. It's been assaulted in one way for years. It's not like it's just been the case since the summer of love in 67. <laughs> uh, each generation has has had their issues, but especially now in this day of we can't even discern love versus tolerance Again, not the point of this piece, but I'm just saying like there is moral decay around us and there was moral decay in Jehoshaphat's time and he was contending with that. So again, I'm just mentioning this to, so we can draw parallels and find ourselves in the story here. The bottom line of this first point in a few verses, Jehoshaphat provides a template for us, how we could blend courage with community and perceive conflict without overreacting. Especially in trials and tribulations, the way to stand is never an individual exercise. If you want to lead, you must first learn to lean dependently with God independently with people. Second point, the way to contend. So going back to Jehoshaphat's prayer, I'm not going to read it, but I, I actually listed out in the blog. The structure is notable for a couple reasons. I'll give you a quick four. Number one, before Jehoshaphat requests of God, he acknowledges who God is. More specifically, Jehoshaphat declares God's sovereignty and strength into a situation, and humility recognizes God's dominion as infinitely greater than his. While Jehoshaphat believes God will be faithful, he praises God for having been faithful. This flavor of hope not only allows Jehoshaphat to contend through worship and prayer, but it also anchors his trust in God's character as opposed to his track record. Number three, Jehoshaphat pleads in meekness and transparency. He knows God is aware of what's going on, but he's still explicit in conveying his concern. I love that about him. It's very underrated. It's like, you know what? I could just shut up because you know, but I'm still going to just, in a posture of worship and prayer, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to declare what you know, because it's not just about what I know versus what you know. I'm crying out to you because I am leaning, I'm depending, I'm yielding, I'm referencing you all at the same time. I know that I I need you, God. This is my heart cry. And to the extent Josephat resists fear, to that extent he spells it out. His fears and anxieties, knowing he has nothing to lose being honest with God. How many of us have a hard time with honesty because we view it through the lens of, I have something to lose, even if I do the right thing. And we think that in our relationship with God, it's like, you know, but he's all-knowing. It's like, we really have nothing to fear. We have nothing to lose. Um, not, certainly nothing to gain by shielding ourselves as if we can deceive God. We can't. To believe in who God is is to believe he's all-knowing. Joseph at last point concludes his prayer with a timeless mic drop. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. So good. Joseph at this point has had past victories in the back. He could have easily relied on winning formulas, proven communication skills, even ally relationships, although in this passage we kind of are more exposed to <laughs> who hates his guts, uh, his enemies. Instead, he boldly professes his weakness and seals his petition in a spirit of expectancy, knowing this prayer 
was key to helping his people stand firm. Bottom line here, in a few verses, Joseph had provides a template on how we can surrender to God ahead of evil surrender to Christ in us. When you feel overwhelmed by clients, colleagues, workloads, don't deny your helplessness, but rejoice in the fact you can call on God to go before you. Again, standing strong. Sometimes you have to voice it just by yourself, but it's not supposed to stay with, by yourself. Trust that God has a plan for your life, a purpose for your life, that he's planted you in the right spot, even if it doesn't make sense. It could simply be to be humbled and to learn some valuable lessons that will become handy, become useful in the next season that you don't yet see. Stand strong regardless. Know there's a way to contend. Consider the way of Joseph had and approach conflict, even your heart of prayer, and within the conflict, just like he did. Last point or of our main trio, the, the way to honor. While much attention is given to Jehoshaphat's prayer and victory in 2 Chronicles 20, the epilogue is also worth noting. For starters, Jehoshaphat's prioritization, the consecration over celebration in verse 26, is indicative of a leader who cited his honor correctly. Had Jehoshaphat's pride surfaced, he could have fallen victim to the same vice he was rebuked for in chapter 19. Yet as we find, rather than fall into idolatry, Jehoshaphat maintains holy reverence yet again by blessing the Lord with his troops. Blessing the Lord with community, with the people around him. Are you sensing a theme? I am. I get giddy about this, and I'm not really good at, get, you know, I get social anxiety sometimes. I'm 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 classic introvert, uh, and yet I could still get excited about blessing the Lord. It was in the context of unity and community, and you know me, I love that. They were permitted to collect the spoils, but the spoils of war weren't used to glorify themselves, but rather they became altar of gratitude, altars of gratitude, with legacy ties to this day. I mean, just look at the, the naming. After effects coming out of that victory, after exalting God on site, Jehoshaphat and his men returned to Jerusalem to commemorate their freedom. In verses 27 to 30, I will read this because I love it too. Then they returned to Jerusalem with joy, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, led by Jehoshaphat, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets, the house, uh, temple of the Lord, a little bit of Psalms in there. I love how the temple of the Lord is represented, the sanctuary present in this chapter, and the fear of the God, <laughs> and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So it wasn't just Jehoshaphat and his men, it wasn't just Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem, it was the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Yeah, that's a classic case, classic evidence of True God doing true work, <laughs> true victory, having this ripple effect, this domino effect that goes beyond boundaries and perimeters and affects neighbors, you know, neighbors who weren't enemies. And that's the thing about Jehoshaphat. He cited his honor correctly, and we see that because other nations come to follow Countries learn about what happened, and they turn their hearts as well. That humility and leadership, unparalleled. 
So the kingdom of Joseph that was quiet for his God gave him rest on all sides. I love how he came into Jerusalem with joy and he leaves, or rather the passage ends with him in a place of rest. This conclusion tells me two things. Number one, as an appointed leader, Joseph had accepted conflict with courage, went into battle with assurance, and conquered his enemies with humility. And two, as an anointed leader, Joseph had accomplished these things in the joy and fear of the Lord. Whatever Joseph had set his mind to, it prospered, because he cared more about what God said than anything else. Like today, the man encountered much in terms of noise and despair. However, as a strong man of valor, he kept his eye on the prize at times, well, at all times, never wavering to ego, consensus, or past strongholds. Accordingly, it's no surprise to me, the rest of Jehoshaphat's reign was marked by peace and rest. So the bottom line here, in a few verses, Jehoshaphat provides a template on how we can honor God through victory and achievement. While celebrations have their place, remember gratitude, must stick to your gladness, not the other way around. And that is a Selah for me and for you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. That's all I got today. Hopefully I'll have another, well, I will have another update, another post later this month as part of my bi-weekly rhythm. Thank you guys for being patient and for your support. Uh, go ahead and give us a, a like. I normally don't promote, but um, right now God is doing some cool things with his Go Friday. The name will change. There's going to be some major rebranding that happens later this year, so I don't know what the new name is, but I do know that uh, at large, when you talk about the Church and the Body of Christ, you know, His Go Friday is just a very small piece. We're just a drop in the bigger bucket of providence and community that's out there. Still, if you're encouraged by this content, give us a like, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud. There's other platforms we need to get on, but I'd start there. Um, just have a way of receiving alerts. It's really just a matter of communications more than, uh, you know, pushing my agenda. So hopefully that never comes across. As always, you can leave a leave us a message on our prayer request page on our website, or you can DM us uh, through our Facebook page. That actually might be preferred uh, moving forward in the short term. So just so we know that what's going on, how we can better stand with you, pray for you, contend with you, stand with you, the way Jehoshaphat did in Second Chronicles 20. Hope you have a wonderful rest of the weekend. As I always say, I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.